0: Welcome everyone to Hello City, an educational podcast about the built environment. I'm your host, Lisa Dunaway, AICP Lead AP. This is actually going to be a different podcast format from what I did in episode one where I interviewed an urban planner. This came up as a result of a tweet that I saw yesterday from one of the alumni from the program where I used to teach, um, somebody that I know really well. And He had a really good question and I'm not a huge fan of Twitter. Um, I've never had a personal Twitter account and I started the Hello City Twitter account so that I could interact with the audience. So in my mind, I was just like, well, I'll just text him the answer because I know him and I don't need to be limited to the character limit on Twitter if I just text him. So I just texted him the answer And then within three minutes, another alumni of the program saw that exchange and said, but I want to know the answer too. And I thought, huh, this could be a really good thing to do um, as a, a sort of small mini episode on the podcast where I could answer questions that are related to the professions at hand here, urban planning, landscape architecture, et cetera. You know, and if I don't know the answer to the question, I can always tap into my network and find out an answer. But in this case, I had a very strong opinion about the answer to the question. And it fits right in with this larger Hello City help thing that I'm going to start doing on my YouTube channel anyway, where I'm going to make instructional videos about how to use this software as an urban planner as a landscape architect. um, This is something I used to do when I taught a lot. I would just make videos that taught the students the skill, let's say in SketchUp or Adobe, that they needed um, because using the software as an urban planner is not the same necessarily as just the general how-to videos that you see online. Those are perfectly fine for learning basic skills, but I sort of found out the hard way that you can learn basic skills while learning the software as an urban planner or a landscape architect, architect, etc., and save yourself that time. So it's a twofer. So in the spirit of this larger Hello City help thing that I was going to do anyway, I thought, If I do this as a different type of episode, that could be really cool and help um, planners with some of the more common questions that I see out there um, that I've heard over the years. You know, almost a decade teaching in higher ed, you, you get the same questions a lot. And the question that this alumni had comes up all the time and has come up with increasing frequency as time has went on, and I have some theories for why that's the case. But regardless, the question was, can you apply for a job that you're not actually qualified for? And it's such a good question. I used to talk about it with my studio students all the time, particularly when they got to the point in their educational path where they were required to do an internship, it starts you thinking of all these career-oriented questions. Certainly when they're about to graduate, um, it would come up quite a bit because they'd see a really cool job that was for a planner two, which, you know, is the kind of second tier of experience or something that required, you know, let's say three to five years of experience, but it just sounded really cool. So they wanted to go ahead and apply and and see if they had a shot. So in my opinion, of course, there may be people who disagree with, with me out there, but in terms of the built environment related professions like urban planning, I do not think professionally that is a wise thing to do. Maybe in other professions, um, you can make it. You fake it till you make it. But as someone who used to review applications in my previous job before I started teaching, and as someone whose peer group is now aged into middle management, so the folks who are around my age and around my career experience and older are the folks who are making hiring decisions. And I've just heard the same common complaints from my peer group over and over and over again, right? And this has come up not as much as some of the other things that we could probably talk about in a future episode, but it's come up enough, right? So professionally, like I said, I don't think that this is a good idea. And there are several reasons why. First, you are 95% sure to be wasting someone's time if you're applying for a job for which you are not qualified. There may be a slight chance that the job you're applying for only has like five applicants and they're all wildly unqualified and you are the least unqualified and they need someone right now and, and so you get in. Okay, that is a remote possibility. However, at this point in time, 2019, you know, the economy's okay, the job market is good, and planners are extremely busy people. Landscape architects, architects, civil engineers, etc. We're all extremely busy people. Whether you are in the private sector or the public sector. So... Chances are, if there is a job vacancy, then someone has given their two weeks notice and that office needs to fill that position. Or that office has recently got a new project on their hands and the workload for the office is increasing enough that they need to hire someone to fill that position. Either way, You're kind of under the gun there, right? So that office needs someone quickly. So that means that the person or persons, the hiring team, needs to hurry up and make a decision. There are times where I've seen a job be posted for months, and that does not mean that that office could take their good old time to hire that for that position. That probably means that they're just getting unqualified applicant after unqualified account or not getting enough applicants. The other thing that's a problem here is that a lot of times in the private sector or the public sector, it has taken someone a long time to get permission to actually post for that job. When I used to work in the private sector, I have seen where just the bureaucracy of bigger firms. The the time that it takes to get permission to even fill a vacant position can be just ridiculous. But then in the public sector, there's there's a whole other set of bureaucracy where you have to get permission from so many higher-ups to hire for a position, whether it's new or vacant. That means that the person or person's looking through these applications, are likely to be freaking out at the point that they're reviewing these. And chances are they're getting a ton of applications for the job. Because of the internet, you can get applications for a job from anybody anywhere in the world now, right? Which is kind of cool, but it also is very overwhelming. And I've had friends tell me, that they've gotten 30, 40, 50 applications for a single job. Considering that you're getting dozens of applications for a job, you are going to do whatever you can to help weed that pool down quickly so you can actually get to the people who are qualified. So if someone's skimming through your stuff and they see that you're not qualified you know, you've wasted a little bit of their time, but you've wasted your own time too. It is not an easy or quick process to put together a job application, right? Especially if you're a design planner, like the folks who go through the, the program where I used to teach, you've spent a lot of time not only crafting the content, but making the entire package look very cool. So that was my second point. You, you're wasting your own time because you're immediately going to get thrown out. The other thing that I used to do, and I know friends of mine do this too, um, you know, as soon as you see a grammatical or typo error in a cover letter, that application gets thrown out. That's probably the number one reason applications get thrown out. The second of which I would guess. Would be um, unqualified applicants. I could be wrong about that, but it's in the top five at least. So let's just say conservatively that half the people in a candidate pool are unqualified. I would say that is conservative. That means that half the time people are spending reviewing applications, it's for not. Right? They're throwing those out probably to get to the good stuff. And it could be that. Well, I have a theory that planners have an exceptionally good memory in general. Um, you certainly don't want to waste somebody's time and have, that, have your name associated with that memory in their head and then run into them at a conference and they'll be like, mm, oh, yeah, you're that person that applied for that job that required 10 years of experience when you just graduated. <laughs> happen. I don't know. That's kind of a long shot. But anyway, so don't waste people's time. Don't waste your own time. Third scenario here is you lie about your qualifications a little bit, right? So you're fudging a little bit. You're playing up your strengths. Let's say there are 10 things required of a job applicant and you've got nine. So you're you're focusing on those and sort of leaving out the fact that you don't meet that 10th requirement. That's still lying. And I know people don't think of it that way, but it is. You're underrepresenting how you can or cannot meet this job requirement. Either way, you're a liar. Let's say everything else looks good. The person reviewing the applications, like I said, is very hurried at this point. So you make the cut. Maybe you get a phone interview. Uh, Maybe you get an in-person interview, and you're very charismatic, and you know all the right words, and you talk your way into either the interview or, heaven forbid, the actual job. It's going to become apparent quickly that you are not actually qualified for this. So it's probably going to get screened out in the interview process, hopefully, if you even get that far, right? But you've wasted that that person's time again. And now you've, you've spoken to them. So chances are they're going to remember your name even more. And this may not be true of other states, but places I've practiced, like Indiana and Ohio, the networks are small enough that everybody knows everybody, right? Everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody's worked at every firm. Everybody knows who's Had an affair at a conference with everybody. Everybody knows whose kids got sent to the juvenile detention. It doesn't matter. You know everything about everybody. And a lot of people are just a loud mouth and will make comments, you know, like, oh, that person, Ugh, I interviewed that person and they were so underqualified and I should have seen it, but man, they really wasted my time. I have heard people say things similar to that. Um, So you just don't want to get a reputation for something like that. Like I said, it may be different in bigger states. Like maybe in California, there's not such a sort of um, rumor mill. But in in smaller states, planners are a very small community. and, And that kind of stuff sticks around. I would say in the profession, the built environment professions that Misrepresenting your qualifications is one of the biggest professional taboos there are, and it surprises me to a point. Younger folks don't see this as a problem, and it could be—it uh, could just be a result of of me being Gen X and not a millennial, certainly not Gen Z. I have a theory about why this question comes up at all, let alone why it comes up so much more as time goes on. But I don't, want, <laughs> I don't want to be mistaken for millennial bashing. I do not agree with millennial bashing. And so let me go on a tangent here. I feel exceptionally privileged to have taught in higher education for almost a decade because I got to interact with so many millennials. And over the last few years, then Gen Z started to age into university level. That time that I spent teaching was probably the best thing that ever happened for me personally in my life so far. Um, not career-wise, <laughs> but it, personally it did. Because had I just stayed in consulting for all those years, I don't know that I would have, well, I know I wouldn't have been able to interact with such a diverse amount of people. There's it, there's just no way. The university setting is just a plethora of diversity. And I would like to think that I was pretty woke. Um, and I would have been had I just stayed in consulting all those years, but I don't know, hopefully, but I don't know. So the chance that I had, the opportunity that I had to interact day in and day out with such a diverse group of people was so good for me personally in terms of just being a human being. And I think the biggest takeaway that I have in terms of my mentality from my years of teaching, is how amazing millennials are in terms of their acceptance of people who are not like them. And I think being around that every day really influenced how my brain worked. So if there was a chance that I wasn't accepting of some sort of type of person or person situation before I came to teaching... I hope that that gap was made up where I was and where I am now. That gap in my level of ability to accept others was met or filled because I got to interact with people who were just so accepting of others every day. And that is my number one, that's the number one reason why I love millennials and loved teaching was just, I think millennials have so much to teach older generations in terms of being good to other people. And I certainly believe that planners in general, perhaps especially in the program in which I taught, really want to help others. I would say 95% of the people who come through the program where I used to teach do so because they want to help others. And so I think planning the way it's structured these days with such a big focus on social justice is very attractive to millennials because they are just naturally more inclined to be nicer (laughs) than their predecessors and want to help people. It changed me enough personally that sometimes when I go to a conference or some other situation where I run into former friends or coworkers I am very cognizant of the gap between their thinking and mine now, um, to the point that I'd rather hang out with millennial any day than a lot of Gen X people I know. Sorry, but not sorry, because millennials are far more open-minded than a lot of Gen Xers and older people are. So having said that, I just hope that I'm being clear that I do not have a general problem with millennials whatsoever. However, stereotypes exist for a reason, and I've seen plenty of evidence to support the stereotype that millennials are entitled. And I think um, Gen Z is going to be even more entitled based on the Gen Z people that I interacted with. And so unfortunately, it's a symptom of that entitlement that, that millennials unknowingly have. All right. I'm not really blaming the millennials. It's probably their parents fault, right? That they act like that. Although you do get to a point where you're supposed to be an adult and, and reflect on your behavior and such. So, um, hopefully this can kind of trigger that in your mind. If you are a bit guilty of being entitled, I don't think that this used to be a problem. However, if you're a planner older than 40 and you've seen this all along, let me know. You know, let me know if I'm wrong. But I have a feeling and I've sort of heard some stories from other professionals that this problem of applying for jobs that you're not qualified for has come up more and more in recent years. And I think No one goes into this with ill intentions. You just see a really cool job and you're like, oh, that's the job that I want. I'm just going to apply because I meet all these other requirements, but that last one, I don't have three to five years of experience yet. You know, I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm going to graduate. And I think this is also related to the problem where people apply for a job before they're actually going to be available for it. This is related. Um, I've seen that come up quite a bit too. Let's say that you see a job that's being posted in December, but you're not graduating until May. And you think, I'm so awesome, they're going to wait six months for me to graduate. (laughs) No, they're not. Like I said at the beginning, this hiring team is probably already stressed out enough trying to fill this position. The odds that they're going to wait six months for you are just astronomical. So again, don't waste people's time. Either way, you're not qualified or you're not actually able to start working yet. You are assuming things about yourself that are not yet true, right? So, I mean, that's kind of part of the definition of, of acting entitled. And I really think you don't want to play into that stereotype. You know, millennials resent that stereotype and I get it. If you have had thoughts like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really ready for this job, but I really want it. You know, just, just admit that to yourself. You're not the only one. Lots of people, this happened. I mean, it happens enough that I'm talking about it. It's a big enough, common enough question or, or problem, I guess, that it justified being episode two of this podcast. So just kind of step back and admit that to yourself, like, hey, I'm not really ready, and I am a nice person. I don't want to waste my own time, but I, more importantly, don't want to waste other people's time applying for this job. Okay, don't play into the stereotype you know, be a good representative of your generation. Cool. The other issue related to this that wasn't really in the question originally posed is the perception that I have seen time and again from the younger generations that they want to jump straight into a job they love. That would be fantastic. However, the odds of that happening... Are low, And I think millennials are very aware that they're going to jump from job to job. And older generations did not do that. They would just suffer in silence, or maybe not silence, but they would suffer through a job that they didn't like because of the routine and the stability and, and what have you. But one thing that's awesome about millennials, and I credit them for changing the workforce significantly already in their short time being in the workforce is not putting up with a poor job situation. Millennials will jump ship faster than Gen Xers certainly, way faster than baby boomers. And that may be a product of their age too, right? You know, So if you're in Gen X like me, chances are you you have kids and it's harder to leave a job because you have people to provide for. But Either way, employers seem to realize that they can't take advantage of people as much as they used to. Now, some, some people are still very old school. Some companies are still very old school, and they just don't give a crap. And they don't care that they have high turnover. They don't see that the time that they've spent developing that young professional as an investment, and they will just let someone leave and be like, goodbye, Right and just hire somebody else and try to hire that person cheaper and start all over again, time and time again. They just don't see the big picture. They don't understand that long-term investment in somebody. So it's very cool to me that millennials will take a stand for themselves, and because the job market has been pretty good for so long, they are able to jump ship quickly. You know, I was employed... At the beginning of the uh, recession and things were not the same, then a lot of people who lost their jobs in the recession went into employment for themselves um, and just scraped by for a while until things got good again. When I lost my job in the recession, I went and started to teach, so that actually worked out really well for me. Um, It didn't work out great for everybody. There There was a period of some lean years for some folks. Perfectly awesome, highly qualified people had a few rough years. So I don't know that millennials would be able to jump ship as rapidly had they come into the workforce during a time where the economy wasn't as good. And let's be clear, too. A millennial is actually probably older than some people think. Depending on what you look at, a millennial is the age bracket all the way back to people who were born in 1980, 1981. So you can be in your late 30s and be a millennial. I'm speaking more of the people under 30, so between like 21 and 30 when I say millennial. Let me just state that. But then Gen Z is is, more or less people who are 21 and younger in 2019 at the time I'm recording this. So millennials have, younger millennials have been in the job market enough um, for enough years now that I think that they've made a really awesome change and will continue to do so. However, if you are a younger millennial and you do see that awesome job that you are not quite qualified for and you want to apply for it, Again, just don't, because ethically, professionally, that's not the right thing to do. But there is also really, truly something to be said for earning your keep and learning the experience that you need on the job. And if that makes me sound like an old person, then I welcome it, because I did it, and I don't think that in every instance everybody has to do everything that everyone else did, you know, as a rite of passage or hazing or whatever, but the the first four jobs that i had in my 20s in my younger career were all pretty awful and i was treated just despicably as a landscape architect and planner, but also just because i was a woman who kept working for for big civil engineering firms, that was probably my first mistake, but um, I learned a lot on those jobs. I learned a lot of skills and I learned a lot of things that helped me be treated better later on. But I also had more skills and experience later on where I could demand to be treated better. And I hope people don't have a series of jobs where they're treated poorly. that's that was just my experience. However you're treated, you can learn things from those job experiences early on, right? So, it goes hand in hand. If you are newly graduated, chances are that you are looking for a job in the city where you want to live. That's just been a, a, a longstanding trend with millennials that they, the, the city is more important than the job. If you see this amazing, awesome dream job in the city that you want to work, that's great if you happen to be qualified go ahead and apply for it. Good luck to you. But if you are not qualified, that's not the job for you, right? So you've got, you've got to flip how you think about that. Until you meet the requirements, honestly, that is not the job for you. And it's okay if you take an entry-level job. I know that you're going to have to kind of drudge through grunt work and maybe not get paid as much as you want. But I promise you there are things that you're going to learn in that entry-level job that you have to know to be able to then someday get that awesome job that requires three to five years of experience or 10 to 15 years of experience or whatever. Career paths are not necessarily linear, but there are some overall checkpoints that you do have to meet in a more or less linear fashion. And Let's say you have to be in a zoning administrator or review permits or something else that does not sound very sexy for several years. Well, there's a reason that that's the entry-level job, right? That is the starting point, and that's okay. I encourage you to just see the long game there and recognize that you are learning super valuable skills that will make you more efficient in future jobs and when you get to the point where you manage others this is probably the most important thing it will make you a better boss and if you've ever had a boss that you hate hopefully you want to become a better boss than that person and not do the things that they did. I had a job one time where my boss was she was so awesome but she was from the generation where you still did everything by hand. She could email, she could do a little CAD, didn't do Photoshop or anything. And she meant well, but there were several times that she was very dismissive of the time that it took to do things in CAD. And that was difficult for me, especially as an intern, who, you know, it was not my place to question the boss or sort of push back on the boss. Luckily I had coworkers who helped me (laughs) in a a nice way kind of say, well, no, you can't just wave your magic CAD wand and get this done in an hour. Because she had never really done like a a whole construction set in CAD, um, she did not realize that just because it's on the computer does not necessarily mean it's a lot faster overall. Certainly aspects of doing CD sets in CAD are quite a bit better than doing them I had. I'm not saying that. But the thing she was asking me for was not necessarily any faster in the short term. So things like that, that's just one tiny example. Things like that are what will make you a better professional and a better boss at some point. Having that experience of being a, quote, you know, cad monkey for the first several years of my professional career was not the most exciting thing ever, even though I actually do like doing CAD. As I was going on, I was picking up skill after skill after skill, and I was always very observant of the things that my project managers did, my co-workers did. So I actually learned about the project management process simply by going through the steps required to complete a construction document set. And If you are observant, if you take everything as a lesson, hopefully, it worked for me, I hope it works for you, take every day as an opportunity to learn and grow. Observe your coworkers, observe your boss, write things down by hand. It sticks more when you wrote it down. And I used to have this tiny little sketchbook that fit in my purse that I could write down whatever my boss told me to do. And I had several bosses that said to me, like they appreciated that I did that because I never forgot something that they told me to do when we would sit and talk, I would take notes on things that were interesting or something I didn't know, but also I would make a big star next to anything they told me they needed me to do that day. And I would look back on it at the end of the day to hopefully reinforce any sort of little nuggets of wisdom that I got from them. So that's something you might even do. And it makes those entry-level years more beneficial for your future career goals, and future career success if you're able to change your mindset and force yourself to be patient if necessary. It's okay if you see that super awesome job and you are not qualified for it. Apply for the jobs that you are qualified for and use those as your learning opportunity to springboard you into things, better things in the future. Uh, And I, I believe it will happen for you. And don't get me wrong, we know there are exceptions. Everybody knows an exception to what I'm saying here. Everybody knows somebody who got a job as the director of something, you know, their first job out of college. And some of my favorite alumni from our program, that happened to them. They were in the right place at the right time, and they rose to the occasion. But it's always the exceptions that you hear about, right? It's not the 99.8% of people who do have to go through that entry-level process. And having firsthand knowledge of what every job under you requires day in and day out makes you a much more well-rounded, understanding, and simply better boss. Disclaimer, I can't guarantee it, but I believe it will happen for you because I know if you don't have the experience... To qualify you for a job, if you were to somehow smooth talk your way into that job, it will come back to bite you. If you are willing to go through the steps and do the entry level things, or even the kind of second tier things, planner two types of things, it will set you up for success later. And if you are in those entry level jobs, and you are diligent and organized and timely, and you are you know, clearly paying attention to your boss, you're a good team member. Odds are that you will get moved up quicker, right? Because you've been observant and you've learned as you've went. You've not just stared blindly at your computer and clicked things all day right? Or answered every phone call and answered every question the same way, right? You've been very thoughtful about your work. You've been observant. You've learned a lot. It may not be that you have to wait five years to level up to the next point in your career. If you think, gosh, do I really have to do zoning administration for five years? Well, probably not. Uh, You could do it for a few years and then find a new job somewhere else. And maybe that was your plan all along. Cool, it's working out for you. Or maybe you have done such a good job when your director decides to retire and your boss moves up to be director, you get to move into your boss's position after only, you know, two or three years of on the job experience because you were awesome in that job, and your bosses recognize that. And very uh, bluntly um, it is just easier to move people up within an organization than it is to hire outside so if you like generally where you work you can just keep moving up hopefully internally now there are some places um, I have a friend this just came up recently there's no there was nowhere else for her to go no one was aging into retirement anytime soon Everybody else, all the Gen Xers were just very comfortable in their daily routines. And so she left to go to a different office in a different city. And there were more opportunities for her there. And I thought that was an exceptionally good move because she had learned the things she needed to know in that entry level position. And she was talented. And it wasn't that her boss was holding her back there was just nowhere for her to physically go. There was not another job for her to physically go into in the structure of that workplace. Now there is something to be said for creating a better work environment. I've heard of some municipalities in particular that have um, silos for jobs. And I think that that can be a mistake. And that's something that older people maybe need to look at because If you want to invest in your millennial employees, train them up and keep them. Give people a more diverse set of things to do in their daily uh, daily task list. So maybe they are not only the permit person all day, every damn day, right? Maybe they don't only do a zoning administration all day, every damn day. You can take turns with that. You can spread that out even amongst the more experienced employees. Maybe there's a day that they take that on for half of the day and that rotates through. Give your younger employees a chance to have a taste of more of what's to come. Expose them to those skills and create the opportunity where they can do that maybe sort of tag teaming with someone who has more experience is in a higher position. You know, that's employee empowerment, and you are creating a more loyal employee there as well. And you're giving them the opportunity to have more responsibility and feel more valued. And that is important to millennials, and I don't blame them. Feeling that sense of recognition is nice no matter what age you are, you know, being appreciated. In my friend's case, the structure of her work environment was not set up um, where people could do a diverse set of tasks on any given day. She was only doing zoning administration and she had learned really all she needed to know about that. So it was time to go. But if you uh, want to keep your people around, maybe rethink those historic old school structures of siloing jobs. That I mean, that's my opinion. (laughs) I've been very fortunate that even in the jobs that I had that were horrible in terms of how I was treated, I was never really siloed. I had bosses that believed in um, giving you tasks that you weren't qualified for just because they could pay you less and they knew you were smart enough to figure it out. So, you know, it wasn't a benevolent move in their case, but it did help me gain skills (laughs) quickly <laughs> as a young professional, so I hope that that was helpful to the younger listeners out there. Maybe some lessons for older listeners as well. And certainly, if you are an experienced professional who has other ideas, feel free to put those out there on social media. You can find the podcast social media at Hello City Podcast on Instagram and Hello City Pod on Twitter. And like I said before, there is a YouTube channel, Hello City Podcast. I put podcast episodes up there, but there's also going to now be this Hello City Help channel on there. So look for that. And I think I have the podcast on all the major podcast distribution channels now. Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, etc. However, if there's one I've missed, let me know. And if you have a story you want to tell on the regular podcast episodes, please email me at hellocitypodcast at gmail.com. I also put it out there a couple days ago that if you have a story but you don't want to be interviewed on the podcast, if you really, really want to make sure you remain anonymous that is completely fine. Just email me the story and I'm happy to do episodes where I read your stories and go through the lesson part of it with the listeners for you. It doesn't bother me to do that. I think that could actually be kind of fun. But then also now I have this third avenue where if you have a question about anything, you know, urban planning, landscape architecture, architecture, et cetera. Please send it in, HelloCityPodcast at gmail.com. If you put it on social media, hopefully I will see it. Um, I'm only on Instagram and Twitter, though, so keep that in mind. And I am not a person who likes to pretend that they know things that I do not know. (laughs) But that's how I am. So if you ask a question that I don't know the answer to, but I think it's very intriguing, I will find someone who does know and maybe bring them on as a guest in a future episode. So thank you very much for tuning in to episode two. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. And remember, make no small plans. See you next time.